my wife and I, you know, when we when we are are determined to achieve a goal that we both have full buy-in on, you know, when, when we're locked and loaded together on that, you know, it's it, it's getting accomplished. We can we can achieve anything. And that's not to say that, you know, that we're not always on the same page, but or, or that we're not supportive of one another. But when we both want it for the marriage or for the for the family, it's getting accomplished. There's nothing that can that can stop it. And, and you can't put a value on that. The words of advice would be you, you got to hit that one out of the park. Your spouse, your partner has got to be the right the right fit. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 266. Happy Halloween to everybody out there. Hope you get some trick-or-treating in tonight, especially if you've got little ones like I do. Soon a little bit of research on Halloween as a holiday and the economic impact. This according to the National Retail Federation, about 65% of adults plan to celebrate the holiday. Record-breaking last year was over $10 billion dollars. And this year is expected to top that as well. It's about $102 per person or $103, a little over per person. Pretty spectacular. Halloween has continued to grow since the pandemic, uh, getting back to pre-pandemic levels, which I think most of us would probably expect. This is the second largest economic impact in this country as far as holidays go behind Christmas, about $575 million uh, is spent at least on Halloween pumpkins, which exhausts about 80% of the pumpkin supply in the United States. I guess that's probably why we don't have pumpkin things outside of kind of October, November is because we exhaust it all uh, within a two-month period. The number one most popular Halloween candies are Reese's Cups, followed by Skittles, M&Ms, and then Starbursts, which is interesting because you know, personally, I feel like as we've been doing all of these kind of fall festivities and, and October festivities, I feel like I see the Snickers everywhere, but that doesn't come up until number eight on the list. So yeah, just some fun things to think about the economic impact of Halloween as a holiday. Hope you enjoy everybody stay safe out there and enjoy the holiday. Hope that, uh, that we have some great costumes this year in, in, in your neighborhoods. Wanted to start off today, actually got a great, uh, comment uh, from a listener. This was actually a review left on on iTunes. This is from T-I-T-A-G-I-N. Titigan? Titigan? I'm not sure. Great info. Great stories from millionaires. I'm getting a lot of tips from their experience. I do relate for people that started late in investing and managing their money. I'm from the Philippines and my family never talk about money. I had to make myself educated, so proud that slow and steady and becoming intentional with my money. I feel so secured and in peace for whatever emergencies come my way and maybe retire a little early. Thank you so much. Once again, that's from Titian in the Philippines. Hey, appreciate your review. Appreciate all those reviews out there, whether, uh, you know, wherever, whatever parts of the world you're in. I'm glad that this content uh, is, is helpful and I uh, hope people are learning a little bit. So today on the episode, we have Bradley. His net worth of just over a million dollars. He is a buy and hold type of guy. We discuss his journey from paying off debt to learning how to invest on what to do when your employer doesn't have the investment option options that you would prefer. Perhaps the biggest discussion that we've had to date on the podcast and that we get into with Bradley is the 
selection of a spouse or partner. Phenomenal discussion with him. Super excited for today's episode. Last week we had Ty and Chloe. They have a net worth of $2.5 million with majority being between crypto and real estate. They are in their early 30s. Real interesting episode and, and uh, had a few people write in and Ty is still definitely in the crypto markets. Uh, he's definitely one of those adopters and believers. So obviously we'll see what happens with crypto as as uh, you know time, time goes on here. I guess fall 2022 and see what happens with the economy. But uh, for now, I think there's still quite a few people out there that, that uh, have some exposure to crypto and, and are believers in it. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Bradley. Bradley, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Yeah. First of all, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, Long time listener. And I don't I don't get an opportunity uh, a lot to talk personal finance or um, um, or net worth with uh, with friends or anything. So I uh, appreciate this opportunity to talk about it with you guys and, and excited. So um, just your typical guy, uh, married, a couple of kids that are older now and, and just work work full time and kind of save a little bit each month and, and let it build. Nice. And what is your net worth today? Net worth today as of September 30th is $1,039,664. Nice. And how is that broken up? So I break mine up on my net worth statement. I have about uh, 50500 in what I would call liquid assets, uh, about 571000 in retirement assets, about 575000 in real estate, and then about sixty-two thousand five hundred in in personal property, which would just be cars and uh, that type of thing. Cool. The money that that you have in retirement, how is that invested? Um, a few different ways here. So I have um, my wife's Vanguard retirement account, which is uh, basically uh, made up of a traditional IRA and then a four hundred one k. That's about one hundred and sixty-nine thousand. Uh, we each have Roths. Uh, mine has a little bit of rollover from a traditional. It's a little over 128,000. Uh, hers is 83,800. And then we actually we call it a retirement, but it's actually an after-tax brokerage account. A little over 50,000 in that. And then I have a 401k, uh, about 38,600 in that. And then I have um, what I call like a like a vested pension value. Um, that I value at just a little over a hundred thousand. Okay, and is all of that invested in stocks, mutual funds, bonds? I invest in index funds whenever I have the opportunity. So my wife's investments with uh, with her IRAs in Vanguard, those are in index funds. My my Roths, I I use an investment advisor for that, and then my four hundred one k. I don't I don't have options for index funds on those, so they're just in in mutual funds. And how long have you been contributing to these accounts? We started, oh gosh, I think we started the Roths probably in in 2013, as well as uh, my wife's IRAs uh, started right around 2012, 2013. And then my, my 401k, uh, this is only the second year I've had an opportunity to do that. Um, so it's a couple of years on the 401k and then a couple of years on the, uh, on the taxable uh, brokerage account with Vanguard as well. And you, you mentioned that you had an old 401k that or Roth that went into traditional or traditional into Roth. Did did you have a conversion that took place or? That was just a previous um, a previous employer uh, that I had some money with um, and just rolled it over with my with my current advisor um, once I opened up opened up that Roth account with him. 
Okay. So traditional state, traditional Roth state Roth, basically then? Correct. Okay. Have you always rolled everything over when you've left previous employers? Well, it's only happened, only happened one time. And so, yeah, I did. I just try to keep things as simplified as possible. And um, just so I can kind of keep track and keep my arms wrapped around stuff. Was there any reason that you did that rollover? Was the investment options with the previous employer not very good? Or was it just really just simplicity? It was strictly simplicity. Yep. Um, just so I could kind of keep an eye on it. Um, and then, you know, that, that those are funds that, you know, I don't know exactly how it'll play out, how it'll get used in retirement. So simplicity for myself, tracking it uh, during my working career, and then uh, simplicity for um, if it ever just gets passed on someday for the for the next person to keep track of. You said you don't have index fund options with your employer. How do you go about evaluating the investment options that you do have in an in a employer retirement plan? Gosh, the mutual funds that I pick, you know, it's it, it's not anything really extensive. Um, I try to basically look at um, how long the fund has, has been open and then the lifetime return on it. And then and I also will do a little search and kind of see like what the top 10 holdings of that fund might be. Um, and that's how I make, make my decision. Uh, and then those those funds, you know, of course, my 401k here and my current employer, I've only had it for a couple of years, but, you know, I'm pretty much kind of a buy and hold guy. I don't I don't change funds too often. So my initial purchase was just based on that longevity of the fund and then performance over the history of it. And then a little bit of research on the top holdings, and I'll probably just hang on to it, uh, you know, for quite a long time. How long have you been working with an investment advisor? I have been working with them uh, 2013. It was the very end of 2012 or the very start of 2013. Um, I started the the Roth account, so started working with one one then. Now, to be honest, as I've I've kind of learned more and, and researched more, like my wife's accounts, I just recently rolled over uh, from an advisor to. To Vanguard um, and kind of become more of a believer in the in the index funds and, and kind of going going that route uh, forward. But the Roths and my traditional, I'll probably keep them parked where they're at uh, for now. Um, but you know, who knows down the road may look at at rolling those into index funds as well. Do you remember what your net worth was approximately when you engaged with that investment advisor the first time? Oh gosh, my wife and I were talking about that, trying to figure out. We uh, a little background. We we were kind of Dave Ramsey folks um, and really attacked our debt really hard, which we believe was in about 2010, 2011. We think we had, if we, it's just working off memory, we think we had about 75,000 in, in consumer debt and, and 75,000 in, in, on our home at that time. So 150,000. Um, and we think we paid off that consumer debt, took about 18 months, maybe, maybe two years. So that was all right around, by the time we got debt free, was right around 2012, 2013. So you know, net worth at that time would have basically been whatever equity I would have had in my house at that time. So we're talking, you know, probably a hundred thousand, less than a hundred thousand, maybe. Wow. So that means most of it's come here in the last ten years ish, or all of it really yeah, in the last really, ten years. Uh, we got debt debt free, and then um, yeah, really kind of taken off in the last ten years of 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 trying to pile up some money. Yeah. So let me, Bradley, let me just give some context for our listeners because a lot of people write in and ask about age. So you're young, 40s. In terms of debt, how much debt did you have? You just mentioned the debt, consumer debt. Did you have anything else besides that? What was your total debt amount? That debt, that 75000 was made up. We had about 55000 in um, student loans at that time. And then we actually had, we actually had another rental house 
at that time that we ended up just kind of lumping that in as consumer debt and and making the choice to to pay that off at that time. And then uh, we didn't have any credit card debt. Uh, We may have had a a small car loan, but the bulk of the consumer debt was student loan debt. Um, And then I said the other half, we owed about 70 on our house, 75 on our house at that time. Okay. And and what was the the most effective way you found to pay it off or how did you keep focused to pay off? You mentioned Dave Ramsey earlier was it really just following his baby steps and doing a debt snowball and just being proactive with it that's exactly how we did it yep we followed the plan uh just like he just like he lays out um yeah no no tricks there we just followed it exactly how how he did it smallest debt to largest and started knocking it out and how much were you how how much were you paying off each month oh gosh what, what was the goal if this is this is strictly off off memory i i, I want to say maybe maybe three or four thousand a month is what we were trying to put we that's, know, a I, I, That's a lot. That's a lot, Bradley. We're, we're fifty-four thousand. That that was total. Um, you know, they they were broken up into some smaller individual individual loans. But um, I I want to say, and I'm just working totally off memory there. That uh, you know, maybe three or four thousand a month. We were trying to trying to pay in in consumer debt payments. Yeah, and were you guys dual income at that time? Yes. Yep, we were. And and how what was the income? Probably a hundred thousand combined, right? Combined. Well, that I mean, <laughs> that's pretty aggressive pay down then if you're paying off whatever thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year off making a hundred. I mean, you're seventy, sixty five, seventy, whatever after tax, right? Yeah. So that means you're living off thirty grand, thirty five grand a year. I can I can tell you that um you know we didn't do much uh, extra lifestyle wise. I can I can remember uh you know the the few times we would we would go out to eat with the family. We would uh we, you know we we would go to McDonald's like maybe once a month in my my, my wife would have it down like exactly what everybody could order and, and, and how much it would be like dollar menu stuff. So um, yeah, I, I'm kind of going off memory off, off the numbers, but I can tell you at that time in our life, we were, we were dialed in and focused and every extra dollar we had uh, was going towards, towards the debt at that time. So was that hard? Did you feel like you were saying no a lot or was it just kind of, Hey, I know the goal and we're going to stick with it and it's okay. And it is what it is, and in a year, year and a half, we'll be debt free, and it'll be fine. Or, or was it always a challenge to say no? You know, it was. It wasn't really a challenge. It was kind of more of a just like 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 a game, like trying to win and just being being competitive. And you know, one thing that I've learned as I've as I've gotten older, there's you know, there, there's been times in my life, whether it was uh, whether it was finance uh, oriented or or uh, health oriented, but my wife and I, you know, when we when we were are determined to achieve a goal that we both have full buy-in on. You know, when, when we're locked and loaded together on that, you know, it's it, it's getting accomplished. We can we can achieve anything. And that's not to say that you know that we're not always on the same page, but or or that we're not supportive of one another. But when we both want it for the marriage or for the for the family, it's getting accomplished. And I guess you know, like like a difference might be we both wanted for the family for the marriage to get out of debt. You know, another example might be where, you know, like currently like now, like in my spiritual life, I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow in my spiritual life. So my wife will support me with that, but she'll support it from an aspect of I'm going to support my husband. So it's not as, we're not as fierce with it. If it was a point where she was trying to grow in that in the same aspect that I was, and it was a common goal for the marriage, it's going to get attacked ferociously. She's always going to be supportive. She's, she's a great partner, but those times in our life when we both identify, hey, this is the goal for the marriage or for the family. There's no, there's no stopping us. 
And and at that that time, that was one of the things. It's just the the debt was it was the goal for the family for the marriage. There was no stopping us. We were going to get it. We we're going to get it knocked out. Wow, good for you guys. Cool mindset to hear. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. How old were you when you started paying off the debt? Two thousand. 10, 12, you said? Yeah. So, so young 30s? Yep, yep. So Jace alluded to this a little bit earlier at the beginning, but did you, I mean, did you contribute at all to retirement accounts or save a lot in your in your early and late 20s? No, I had a job, a little bit. I had a job that had uh, had the deferred compensation program. So I did, I did contribute. And I think if I remember right, I was contributing, I started out contributing uh, they they had a, a dollar amount match, and I can't remember what it was. It wasn't really a significant amount of money. So I always put in to, to get the match, and then it, they ended up cutting the, the match part of it. So I always contributed a, a little bit of something, but it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a situation where I probably I, I probably should be doing this, so I, so I did a little bit of money. It wasn't really a uh, a focused, educated plan of saving X number of dollars to you know, to be able to fund a retirement at, at this age. That kind of came later on in life as I as I matured and got a little more educated on, on on retirement and saving. So what kicked, we just talked about the debt, let me just go back to that real quick. What kicked that into gear? Was there a moment, I mean, when? how did you finally say young 30s, hey, I'm going to attack this, we're going to pay this off, we're going to be debt free? Yeah, I think that was my wife. We, we uh, at the time, we thought, you know, we were both both working and, and both had, uh, we, we had a, we had a decent, household income and I think it was like a lot of folks just um weren't really weren't really getting ahead and you know she kind of had that moment that you know this is just kind of ridiculous we we make pretty good pretty good money we ought to be getting a little farther ahead than what we're what we're getting and I've always kind of had like an interest in finances and and whether it be uh, you know with, with real estate or budgeting or, or investing I've always kind of had that interest I never I didn't act on it until later in life so when she started talking about it and, and budgeting, well, I was I was all in with, with her at that point as well. So so yeah, I think it was just a situation where felt like we should be doing more with with what we had. Yeah, and have you guys always had dual income? Yeah, pretty much. There was a time there was a time my wife went to school kind of in the evenings and stuff when we had uh, kids at home. So I, for the most part, yeah, we've always had dual income. And there was a short little span there when when she stayed home and just, just took some classes. Okay. Got it. And then usually we ask this at the end, but what was your range of household income through yeah, your working life? Yes. We range when we, uh, when we first got married, uh, which would have been in 2001 before tax, uh, household income was 60,000. And then we're on pace this year, uh, pre-tax to hit about 250. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. You four, you've more than four extra. Yeah, yeah. So, Bradley, how did all this get started? Did you learn about personal finance growing up? Did I mean, was this pushed at all? How did how did you start learning about all this personal finance stuff and well, get into I it? Not talked about a lot in my house growing up. Had a little bit of, of interest in in college, but again, didn't really have people around me that were that were really interested in it. And then just slowly, uh, you know, started doing the uh, the internet searches and and uh, learning about stuff online and, and, you know, coming across folks like Mr. Money Mustache and, um, and that's kind of evolved from there and just, just basically kind of self-taught learning, learning online. And that all, that all just started, 
started later in life. They say money can't buy happiness, but not worrying about your money comes close. That's where Chime can help you smile more. They were just named the number one most loved banking app with payday up to two days early, fee-free overdrafts up to $200. They offer financial peace of mind in your wallet. All of this is with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks to apply. See for yourself why Chime is so loved at Chime.com slash millionaire. That's Chime.com slash millionaire. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. See chime.com dash spot me. Chime was the 2021 number one most downloaded banking app in the United States, according to Aptopia. Bradley, is there a person or, or forum or website that has been super influential in your journey and learning about personal finance? Yeah, so mostly what I try, what I've learned about lately, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of reading about and listening about the index funds. So, you know, read the simple path. But really, you know, most of the stuff that I read uh, and people I talk to, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the, the keep it simple um, lifestyle. So I really kind of follow more stuff and read more stuff that, that would just keep me keep me motivated more than anything. So podcast wise, you know, I, I, I listen to you guys that that keeps me motivated, keeps me on track. Um, I also listen to like Choose FI, Stacking Benjamins, um, those kind of podcasts, and um, even follow a few people on on Twitter. That uh, mainly, like I said, it's just just to kind of keep me keep me motivated, uh, keep me on task, and and keep me focused. Is there a specific goal or net worth that you're trying to hit down the road? Um, you know, not really. And I thought I thought you guys would would probably ask me that. And, you know, we kind of go back and forth on, on, you know, ha- how aggressive we want to be in, in saving and maybe retiring early or, or just working a little bit longer and maybe having a, a nicer lifestyle in, in retirement. So, you know, to be honest, no, there's not a, there's not an exact goal or number uh, we're trying to hit. And I don't know, maybe it'll change as well as we, as we get older. But um, the main reason for that is to, I mean, to be honest, is we just don't, we don't really have a full understanding on what we want our retirement lives to, to look like. Um, so we haven't, haven't really decided on, on the number. So um, right now I, I would describe our, our saving as we try to save as much as we can now, basically for options. So when we do decide to make that choice on what it's going to look like or when we're ready to make the decision on what retirement is going to look like, uh, hopefully we'll have a large enough nest egg that there'll be as many options as possible. Would you say that you have found joy in your career and your work? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do enjoy my work. You know, there's stress involved. So I'm just kind of basically I've kind of come to grips with, you know, probably no matter what type of work um, you do, there's going to be going to be some level of stress, so of course I wish I wish I didn't have uh, the stress that went along with the with the daily work. But 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 the stress level aside, just the the type of work I do, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I do. Do you think that's been critical to your success in growing your income four x? Yeah, it has. You know, there's always a trade off, though, right? There's always there's always going to be a trade off. So did did it did it make me more successful? Well, it's obviously, I mean, obviously it, it created a situation where I could, we, my wife and I could, could save more, more money, but, you know, so it depends on how you decide, define success. So the trade-off would be, yeah, I've saved more money. Um, but what would it have looked like if I, if I didn't pursue a career that, that took as much time or stress, you know, maybe success would have been, 
um, I would have had more more time, um, you know, less stress in my life. So so yeah, the income obviously number wise, it's gonna it, it helped uh, be successful financially. But but the, the, there's always a trade off, you know, whether you every time you have a decision or not making a decision, there's gonna be a trade off, and those trade offs can be good or bad, and they can be intentional or unintentional. But but the, there's always gonna be a trade off with every decision that you make. I don't I'm happy with my career, and yes, it's given me given me opportunities. Um, but I also realized that there's been a trade-off with that. How many hours a week have you worked from maybe the beginning of your career through the middle of it to now? Um, it kind of depends on what's what's going on. Uh, I always always work 40 hours, but there are times when I'm probably more. I don't work crazy hours. I'd say 45, maybe 50, but it it, it depends. That that's not week in and week out. It, it kind of depends on on what's going on, and then of course like the the time of year, you know end of year and a quarter stuff generally a little more time. So um, kind of depends on what's going on. But when I'm at work though, I'm working for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's solid. It's nonstop uh, work all day, full eight hours. And then sometimes there's, there's evenings and, and some weekends. Do you regret at all how much you've worked over the years? No, no, no regrets. No regrets. Just um, uh, don't regret it, but just I'm aware that there's trade-offs with that. So you don't know what, what, what it would have looked like if I didn't pursue that and took, took less money uh, for more time or uh, less stress. No, don't regret it. But just have reached a point in my life where I understand there's a trade-off. How long did it take you to find something that, that you really found joy in? I mean, you mentioned you basically have had two employers. Is that correct? I would, yeah, I've had a couple. I've had four employers, two different lines of work, though, is what I would say. Um, uh, okay. So, yeah, no, it took me a while. I kind of wish I would have realized um, kind of what my passion is and what I was interested in earlier in life, but you know things happen for a reason. But um, the second employer that, that I'm with now, um, been here for about uh, ten years and do enjoy this type of work. Wish I'd realized it a little bit a little bit sooner in life. So, Bradley, as a newly minted millionaire, did you go celebrate in any way? Yeah, I did actually. I did. It's kind of strange. I celebrated. My wife and I celebrated with some friends and just went went out to a to a nice restaurant. We're kind of modest people, my wife and I. So, <laughs> the group I was with didn't know what what we were what we were celebrating, um, but my wife and I did, and got to go out with a group of friends and enjoy a nice meal and. And some good company. So, so you invited them to celebrate, but they had no idea what they were celebrating for. That's right. Yep. That's, exactly <laughs> that's awesome. Exactly right. Did, yep. did, did you cover the bill? So that's an interesting story. I so I kind of spun it off I, that I owed, and I did owe one of my one of the friends in the group uh, dinner because he had helped me out with some other stuff. So so yeah, I did. I picked up the bill. I picked up the bill, but the wives of my friends, uh, it was a pretty expensive bill. Uh, they they weren't happy that I paid for all that, so um, they made their husbands pay me back part of it. So I ended up picking up half of the bill. Okay, interesting. So that that's probably you know typically we always what's the most expensive meal. I'm assuming that's probably the one that you paid for. Yeah, yeah. I tried to pick up the whole tab. Um, just the the wives weren't weren't of my friends weren't weren't having that, and they made them pay me back at least part of it. <laughs> that's funny. Is there is there any particular item or or experience or trip that you want to go on now that you've become a millionaire and maybe can you know quote unquote relax or it's not as big of a deal to spend a few G's on something? I'll tell you, my wife would say Hawaii. She has always wanted to go there, and I imagine we will sometime. We'll see. So that, that that's a trip that will that will happen at some point. 
Um, I'd really like to do an Alaskan cruise at some point. So that'll, that'll probably happen. But yeah. Th- th- those would be two things that my wife and I, we don't have it scheduled, but we'll, uh, we'll check both of those boxes at some point. So Bradley, you mentioned Hawaii, obviously, but as the net worth has grown and as you got out of debt, have you increased your lifestyle? Have you spent more money? Not, well, not really, not my lifestyle. No, um, we do, we do take vacations, um, take some nice, pretty nice vacations once a year. So my lifestyle, no, we've always kind of taken a nice vacation. Um, I have kids in, in college, so my spending has increased uh, for that. My lifestyle, no, it's it's pretty much stayed stayed the same. Okay. And what about worry, worrying about money through your life? Did you worry? Did you worry when you were in debt? Do you still worry now? Or do you feel like you have a critical base? Because you're pretty evenly split between retirement accounts and real estate. Do you feel like you have a good base now that you don't worry? Or do you still think about it? No, I don't. I don't worry. I would say that the point in my life when I probably should worry, I probably wasn't smart enough to worry about it. So I didn't worry then. And no, no, I don't. I, I don't worry about it about it now kind of play it out and see how it goes i'm pretty pretty confident in terms of um my work situation now and if it if it if it happened to have to change i feel confident that i could i could probably land a a good job somewhere else and we're pretty disciplined with our with our lifestyle and our spending so no i don't i don't worry about about money i guess that's probably one of the good things that i don't don't um think about enough and and be thankful for but um, no, I don't worry about money. Okay. So let me just jump back to your allocation here. I know you're pretty evenly split between the market and retirement accounts and real estate. So we haven't hit on real estate at all. Just big picture. What's the real estate portfolio? You have a primary home, I assume, and then a couple of rentals. Yep. Yep. That's right. Um, primary home. And then I have, I have a few rental properties, uh, that generate an income and they're nothing too big, mainly more to diversify for one. And then I've always kind of had an interest in in real estate. So yeah, just diversification and and an interest. I think rental real estate's <clears throat> probably not for everybody. I enjoy it. I like I like properties. I like following values. Um, I, I don't mind managing the rentals. So it, it interests me, and and it allows me to be diversified a little bit. And, and those are all paid off. So are you, are you guys totally debt free now? No, no. I have um I do have some mortgages on on the rentals. Okay. So net, what do they cash flow after mortgage payments and repairs? Well, so I have, I have three, uh, I have three rentals and I have mortgages, a mortgage on just one. And I probably do things a little different with that. So the mortgage I have on the one, I, um, I kept it as short as possible because I want to get it paid off. And I wasn't concerned about, I, I knew I had the personal income cover the payment if it, if it, was um you know it wasn't rented so I have I have one mortgage on it and that rent payment just basically covers the mortgage and the taxes and insurance I think it makes me like fifty dollars a month but it was on but it's on a ten year ten year mortgage oh wow that's that's pretty nice yeah yeah and then the other two I have uh, there's no mortgages on those and they um they bring in about seven hundred and fifty a month uh, but of course I'll have to pay pay taxes and insurance. Uh, out of that at the, uh, at the end of the year. So, so is the is the thinking once these are all paid off to kind of have that money supplement your retirement? Do you plan to keep buying more in real estate? What are your thoughts there? I would like to buy more. I, you know, believer of that you you kind of you you make your money on a rental uh, when you buy it. So I'll always have my eyes open to buy more rental properties. Uh, I, I enjoy having those when they're paid off. At that point in my life, again, they'll give me options if I. Still don't mind managing them, and they're all paid off. I'll collect the income 
um, if I'm tired of them, they're paid off. I'll I'll sell them and and um, cash out. But again, just another way to give me give me options down the road, um, depending on you know how I'm feeling, what my lifestyle is like. Yeah, and these are all single family, I assume, and pretty close to you. Yep, yep, all three single families. Yep, all within oh 40 miles or so. So do you self-manage them or do you hire a management company? No, I manage them. Yep, I take care of it all myself. And is that hard working a job? There's stuff you have to take care of during the day or you've, you've pr- figured out a pretty good system? Uh, knock on wood, not, not been too bad. The properties are in pretty good condition. So there's not a lot of maintenance right now. You know, the, the tenants I have uh, out of the three, on, only one of them uh, it's been in there less than a year. The other ones are, are long-term tenants. So, so knock on wood right now, got a pretty good situation with long-term tenants and, and, and low maintenance property. All right. Well, that's good, right? Yeah. So as you look back on this journey, Bradley, you paid off the debt, you had the consumer debt, you paid it off and you're from your starting in your early thirties, right? Now you're a millionaire. Or what, let me just ask this real quick. What age did you become a millionaire? Right before I turned uh, 43. I was 42 years old. 42 years old. Okay. So as you look back on this journey, paying off the debt, growing the net worth, you kind of split between markets and real estate. Are there a couple of things that you can point to that say, hey, that's what made me a millionaire or that's what made me successful? Yeah. I would say, uh, number one, hard work to increase that income over the years. And that's my my wife and I both. Um, a, lot of, a lot of hard work uh, and, and moving up that career ladder to get the, the good incomes. And then um, we do a budget every month. Every month we write down, we track what we spend and keep track of that. And we always spend spend less than we make. So um, no rocket science here. Work hard to build up our incomes, keep our lifestyles low and and um, and live below our means. So you mentioned the budget. Do you use a specific tool for that or how do you do it? I uh, just got my own. Um, it's kind of a weird system. Uh, we do have the Dave Ramsey uh, budget app just to, to track the expenses that we going on. But I but my actual monthly budget is just on an Excel spreadsheet that I that I created myself. And have you been doing that your whole marriage, or how long have you been doing that? We started doing that. We started the budget back in uh, when we got on the on the Dave Ramsey kick, and we we've done a budget every month since then. Wow, wow, good for you! And you sit down together and go over it. Yeah, of course. Now you know it's at the point now it's it's somewhat on on, on cruise control. Um, but, but yeah, we um sit down every month and, and track expenses and, and do the budget and see where we're at. Awesome. Awesome. Not many of our millionaires do that, man. So props to you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of rapid fire questions here and then we'll get in, into some last words of advice. So what's been the most expensive non-house and non-car purchase for you? Non-house and non-car. It have to be a vacation. Yeah. Vacation or a toy or. Yeah. Vacation. I would say my wife kind of keeps a little more track of that. I would say it's probably we went to the Cayman Islands a few years ago. It's probably been the most expensive vacation. How much, give or take? Uh, 7000 8000 Okay. Uh, well, let's go back to the car. What's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? $22,000. Okay. And most expensive meal out. We talked about that a little bit before. Yeah. Right. Uh, the total tab was 800 I ended up picking up 400 <laughs> okay. Uh, what's worth the money and what's not worth the money? Oh, I knew that you were going to ask me this. My wife, we were sitting in the living room and she said, I, I said, they're going to ask me what's worth the money. And I think nothing. And she laughed and we thought about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but no, I have a good answer for this. It's, well, it's going to be a unique answer for you. Um, so we slept on the same mattress for probably, I don't know, 15 or 16 years, too long. We bought a brand new mattress. And um, so a, a new mattress, definitely worth the money. 
Um, I'll never sleep on an old mattress again. And when this one wears out, I'm getting a new one. Worth the money, without a doubt, a mattress. Hey, interesting. I like that. It's the first time we've heard that answer, I think. Good night's sleep. What? Worth it all. What kind? Oh, no, I'm terrible with that stuff. Uh, we went to the furniture store. I laid on two or three. My wife and I agreed on one, and and we bought that one. I couldn't tell you what, what kind it is. She probably could, but I couldn't tell you. Okay. What percentage of your money do you donate to charity? Oh, that kind of goes through uh, through phases as well. Usually, uh, on an average year, I mean, probably isn't real good to say, not a lot, probably 5%. It's a good amount. It's a good amount, Bradley. Yeah. Um, I had to say a little bit. We weren't real active during COVID. You know, wasn't much going on. So that year was not much at all. Um, but the previous years, a little more active in some events that we like to yeah. contribute. So, so you seem like the millionaire next door type of guy. Do do people know you're wealthy? Do people know you're a millionaire? Friends, family, neighbors? No, no, my wife. Um, we did share it uh, with our kids recently, so that that would be it. Just just my immediate family. Wow. And and what was their reaction? The kids? Oh, I don't think they really have a. I mean, it, it, it's a nice milestone to to get to get to, but. You know, I think they probably thought it was a bigger deal than what it what it what it really is. But they were pretty excited for us. They see the they see the hard work and and they see, you know, the budgeting and the not not letting the lifestyle creep up. So they were excited for us. Has the money brought you happiness? Made you more happy? I mean, the, yeah, I mean, there's got to be aspect. You know, I just told you that I don't ever worry about money. So in a sense, that's that's happiness. Right. So. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think it does bring happiness. Okay. So just last words of advice here. I mean, if you if someone came to you and said, hey, how'd you do this? I know we just mentioned a couple of things, but what would your last words of advice be to somebody who comes to you and says, hey, Bradley, how'd you do it? And I kind of got lucky to be honest, but, um, and it gets talked about a little bit on your show, but, you know, picking your, your partner, your spouse in life is without a doubt the biggest decision um, or investment you'll make. You know, a lot of people say it's your it's your house. I, I think the biggest decision was, was my spouse because a lot of times people will talk about, you know, the obvious that if a marriage doesn't work out, you know, the, the loss is usually usually 50 percent. But a lot of times it's not the, the gains aren't talked about, you know, and it's 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 a little bit more difficult to to calculate the gains. But w- without a doubt, I would tell you that I'm more successful in my in my career and as a as a father and as a person because of my wife. And I'd like to think that she would say the same thing about me. So biggest words of, of advice for me, without a doubt, would be, you know, you've got you've to find that right spouse. You've got to find one that's going to make you better and one that you want to make better. Um, and like I told you earlier in the interview, when, when we're dialed in on a, on a goal, no matter what it is, what aspect of our life it is, there's nothing that can that can stop it. And, and you can't put a value on that. So words of advice would be you, you got to hit that one out of the park. Your spouse, your partner has got to be the right the right fit. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you saying that. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks for coming on the show, Bradley. Again, everybody, it's Bradley net worth of over one million dollars. Congrats on your success. And thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.